It's wonderful to see all those who could be here as we continue our meeting from night to night. I want to begin by asking you to recall the time when you perhaps started a new job. And that's kind of a traumatic event. And there are some things you want to know. It's been a long time since I started a new job. In my day job, as I call it, I work at a regular job in addition to preaching. And so I know what it's like to work all day and go to church all night, like many of you are doing this week. Um, and even though I've been with that company since 1971 in my day job, I still remember what it's like to start a new job. There are certain things you want to know. Uh, you want to know who's the boss. That just seems to help you, you know. If you know who the bosses are or who the boss is, that's going to work well for you. Not that you'd behave any differently uh, in the presence of those who aren't, but it's always nice to know uh, who the bosses are. One time I was on the phone in the midst of a serious discussion when my boss walked in and I was asking a veterinary a, a trivia question, a veterinarian a trivia question about the number of stomachs that a cow has. And uh, my boss didn't appreciate that too much. Uh, he thought I should have been paying more attention to what I was hired to do. You can understand that, I suppose. You want to know who the boss is. You also, you want to know what are the rules. How do you find out what the rules are? And you also want to know, are they serious about the rules? Do they really, really mean the rules? Now if somebody says, all right, you're hired to be here from eight to five. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean nine to four? Tennish to two? What does it mean? You want to know. Are the rules really the rules? Or are they just kind of guidelines? Or are they for everybody else, but not for you in your position? You need to know what the rules are. And are they serious? You also want to know, when's payday? <laughs> now we might start with that one. Because you always want to know, if I'm going to work, when do we get paid? How does that work here? When does that happen? And if you start a job, those are some of the basics that you really, really, really need to understand. What do you need to know when you come to a church? You know, I, I'll present that I think it's kind of the same. You want to know who's boss around here? What are the rules? Do, do you actually mean those rules? Are you serious about those rules? And when's payday? You know, we can answer those in the Lord's church as well. One thing I want us to remember is that when we start our new jobs, it's really confusing to figure all of this stuff out. 
In just a little while, though, we figure those things out. In, in my day job, I write what's called an employee handbook. And I tease employees from time to time, and I say, you know, don't you have your favorite passage of the employee handbook memorized like I do? And they look at me like I'm nuts. They do that anyway, you know, as you can imagine. But that's part of the rules. It's part of the rules. And so when we come to the Lord's church, it's hard. You know, those of us that have been around the Lord's church all of our lives, we end up forgetting how much we actually know. And we forget how comfortable we are with the routines. Years and years ago, I attended the New Year's meeting in Oklahoma City and came time for communion. I was sitting on the front row. I was a teenager. House was full. And where I had been raised in the church in Missouri, the one officiating at the Lord's table would give thanks for the loaf, and then he would hand it off to a person who would then go help pass, and another person would help pass, and the one officiating at the Lord's table would just sit down on the front row. That's what I was used to. And I thought, well, that's the way everybody is, of course. And so at this this New Year's meeting, huge, huge crowd in this congregation at Moore, Oklahoma. The person waiting on the table offered prayer for the loaf, and he came right over there and he handed it to me as I was sitting there on the front seat. And I thought, oh, he wants me to help pass communion today. So I hopped up and did that. Actually, what it was is at Moore, Oklahoma in those days, the one officiating at the Lord's table also helped pass everything around. I didn't know what the rules were. I didn't know. It's kind of confusing when you don't know what the rules are. It really is. And when someone comes to a job for the first time, we understand that. We see them being a little bit halting and fumbling and hesitant. We understand that. Let's be as understanding when someone comes to worship with us as well. It's going to take a while. It's going to take a while. I've had the absolute privilege and honor of studying with a bunch of folks through the years that have never been to worship anywhere, that have never had a Bible, let alone opened it, let alone to read a single word out of it. And you know what happens to them a lot of times? They're embarrassed. They're embarrassed because they don't know. And they just presume that you know everything because they know that they, they don't know anything yet. Well, it's okay to not know anything at all about the Lord's church. It's okay to have not opened a Bible or to have read a Bible. But you know, in order to learn about God, you've got to start somewhere. So this lesson is about beginnings. How do we start where do we go? How do we figure some of these things out? Because if I just simply say to someone, well, here's what you need to do. You just need to remember this book. Oh. Hmm. You know, there are a lot of people that love to read. And so if you tell a lot of people, I'm going to need you to read this book pretty quickly, they're going to say, okay. But there's a lot more people that never read or rarely read. 
and hardly ever read a book. And my day job, I do management training once a year, and I send out a book for people to read. And I've had folks tell me, Greg, the only book I read all year is the one you send me. And I've told them, one of these years I'm going to send you a Bible, because you need that one a lot more than the ones I've been sending you on business. <laughs> but you know, if, if you just tell somebody, okay, read this, oh, that's a daunting task. And so where do we start? How do, how do we get started with this? Well, we kind of have to cut through some of the, some of the fables, some of the tales, some of the suppositions, and that's not always easy. But let me give you a few experiences that I've had along the way. Some years ago, I had a weekly study at a lady's house, and she was a delightful woman, a member of the Lord's Church. Her children were not, and the children never would sit down at the table and join in at the study. They just never would. They'd walk by, you know, they'd walk slow. You could tell they were listening, but they really wouldn't get involved at all. And so there was one daughter one night that was there, and it just so happened we were talking about the Word of God and its authority and, and how we can know whether or not we're, we're truly following what the Lord wants, who's the boss of the church. And she happened to be walking by, and she slowed, and she slowed, and she slowed, and finally she stopped to talk. I was thrilled. I was absolutely thrilled. And she let us know that she used the Bible. She used the Bible. And she said, here's, here's what I do. She said, I believe in prayer. And I said, that's great. That's wonderful. Because the Bible tells us we should pray without ceasing. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man or woman availeth much. You know, our prayers are powerful and effective as God's people. So whenever, whenever people pray, it's a good thing. It's a good thing in the direction of God for those that aren't Christians. You know, Cornelius was active in prayer before he was a member of the Lord's church. And so it was a good thing for him to be praying always that he might know the Lord's will. And it's a, it's a commanded thing for those of us who are God's people to pray. So she said, I pray a lot. I said, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. She said, here's what I do. When I'm faced with a situation, I pray and I pray and I pray and I pray, and then I just open my Bible. And wherever it falls open, my eyes then just land on a passage, and wherever, that pass, wherever my eyes land, that's the passage that guides me in the problem I'm praying about. And she says, don't you think that's a wonderful way to use the Bible? Oh. <sighs> Now, you don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, okay? You don't want to belittle anyone. You don't want to make fun of anyone in any way. Um, but that's not an appropriate use of God's Word. That's not how God intended for His book to be used. And I asked her for an example of how that had helped her. And she said that she was having trouble in her marriage and she did this. She prayed and she prayed and she prayed. She let the Bible fall open and her eyes fell on a page. It happened to be Mark 5, 19, where Jesus was telling a man, Jesus suffered him not, but saith unto him, Go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee and hath had compassion on thee. Now that's the story of a man that Jesus healed uh, that was possessed with demons. 
and he wanted to go with Jesus, and Jesus said, no, you go back home and you tell folks what's happened to you. Well, when she used this verse in the way I described, she said the Lord's message to her from that verse was that she was to go home and stay with her husband. And she said, don't you think that's what the Lord was telling me? And I said, no. She said, you don't? And I said, no, I really can't see that from that verse. I said, now, there's other Bible verses that talk about marriage and about how you're to be in your marriage as a wife and how your husband is to be, but this is not one of those. This is not a verse that applies in this particular way. We can apply it to things, but not to the way you did. And she said, well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you how you can know for sure that I'm on the right path, that God approves of everything I do. She said she was praying and praying and praying about whether or not her daddy was in heaven because he had died not too long before. And she was praying and praying and praying about that and one day she was shopping for a beanie baby. And she said the beanie baby that she picked up just as she was praying about her daddy, you know beanie babies have a birth date, all of them have a birth date. She said, the beanie baby I picked up had my birth date. She said, now that, doesn't that prove to you that my daddy's in heaven and that the way I use the Bible is correct? And I said, no, it proves that there's lots of dates that you could look at that would give you a similarity and a coincidence, but I don't think that's how God speaks to us. And so, if we're just going to use the Bible as a book that falls open at a random spot, and we're only going to confirm that by a, a date that may happen to be coincidence in a beanie baby, is that, really, is that really the rules of the Lord's church? You see, if it is, then we need more beanie babies. Okay, If all we need to do by following the rules is just let the Bible fall open and do it, then, then we're okay. But I wondered what she would have done had she read about those verses of J.L. driving a tent stake through the man's head. I wonder what she would have done at times had she read about when Judas went and hanged himself. I don't think that's going to work for us. I don't think it's going to work well. And I don't think that's how God intends for us to use his word. Now, with that said, we may look at that and say the very idea that somebody would try to use a beanie baby to confirm their faith, but understand, at least she was trying to use the Bible. Do you know of anybody that never, ever, ever uses the Bible for anything? I do. Lots of them. A buddy of mine at work, he'll say, it's so confusing. It's just so confusing, I just don't know where to start. And I'll say, so start somewhere. No, it's just so confusing, I don't know where to start. After all, if you do get the courage to open the Bible, it's not real simple, is it? If you look for the chapter on worship, there's no heading just like that. 
if you look for the chapter on how to be saved, there's no heading like that. It can be very confusing to go through the Word of God. It can be very confusing to know where to start. So if you will allow me, I will cut through some things and just simply do some, do some things regarding the Lord's church and his rules and whether or not he's serious about them and what our response is to be. The boss, you might say, in the Lord's church is the Lord. And of course, by the Lord, we're referring to God, who is God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. All of those are referred to as God. And we read about them in various passages, particularly in the New Testament. And in one particular passage, when Jesus was being baptized, we have the voice of God the Father from heaven. We have the Holy Spirit descending upon Jesus in the form of a dove. And we have Jesus himself there being baptized. And so we have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, all one God, and that is the Lord God of the Bible. Now, we may look at that and say, but you say there's one God, but there's three? Well, it's kind of like a husband and a wife are one flesh. The Bible talks about that too. They're, they're distinct, separate entities, and yet they are one. And so the boss is the Lord. The boss is God. The rules are the Bible. And, yes, God is serious about his rules. He always has been. We see that from the very first people that ever lived upon the face of the earth. God told them to leave a certain tree's fruit alone. This is in the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible. It said, leave it alone. They didn't do that. What happened? Did they get do-overs? No. Did they get to hit restart? No. Had they saved where they were and get to restart from that point, like some favorite games here and there? No, they did not get do-overs. They had to suffer the consequences of having disobeyed the law. And hopefully we understand that and aren't shocked by that. You know, if a boss says, I need you here at 8 o'clock, and I cannot have any exceptions to that for any reason, and if we show up at 8.30 and get fired, would we be surprised? Should we be surprised? We shouldn't be. And are we going to say, why did you do that? Would we say, why did you do that? You're firing me? I was here by 8.30. Yeah, of course we'd say that. Of course we would. So did Adam and Eve. Yes, we did this, but... And there were consequences to their behaviors. And so the Bible is God's rule book. God is serious about all of his rules, and payday comes in the form of the final judgment, whenever we will hopefully be rewarded with heaven, but if we are not approved by the Lord, we will be rewarded with that horrible place called hell. Now, we don't want to go there, so we want to concentrate on how to get to this place by doing what he wants according to his rules. Okay. At this particular point, hopefully everything is okay with anyone that has 
the faith to acknowledge that God is who the Word of God says that He is. Hopefully we can have agreement on these points up to this time. Now, if we're going to sort through these rules, how are we going to interpret these rules so that they can apply to our lives in an appropriate way? And this is the study of what is called hermeneutics, and you can buy books on this subject, and it's, it's quite interesting. But let's never get away from the simple facts that God is, he rewards those that diligently seek him, and we have to turn to his word for what the rules are. Let's not forget that in going through some of these concepts of hermeneutics. Romans chapter, uh, Romans chapter 10 and verse 17 reminds us, so then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Now this is basic and this is fundamental that if we are to have faith in the Lord God of the Bible, then we have to read, we have to hear about the Word of God. We have to hear about God from His Word. We have to read those words and have them explained to us so that we might have understanding. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So if we say, well, I've got a Bible, but I don't want to open it, I don't want to pay any attention to it, um, but still I want to be a person of God. Sorry, faith comes from hearing and hearing from the Word of God. The Word of God is where we all have to go. We all have to go there. Well, once we decide to do that, it starts with Genesis, and it runs through the book of Concordance in my Bible. Um, it actually runs through the book of Revelation. The last book that is revealed is the book of Revelation. But it starts with the book of Genesis. And let's just simply say that for time's sake, we will go about in the middle to the end of the Old Testament, which is this many books. Genesis through Malachi constitutes what's called the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. The reason we know this is called the Old Covenant is because words in the New Covenant says they're old. That's how we know. Now, so our books, Genesis through Malachi, have an important purpose. All of them are intended to point in a certain direction. They're intended to point to Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That was the purpose of God's creation and revelation and the purpose of Israel and the purpose of the nations and all that was done in Old Testament times under what's called the Ten Commandment Law. And that usually is a very familiar law to people who even have not ever read the Bible. But they have the purpose of bringing us to Jesus. Now, that is the Old Testament in a nutshell. Someone may say, well, I heard a religious program the other day, and they were talking about the importance of Israel today. Well, Israel has no more biblical importance because their purpose was to bring Christ into the world. And once that was accomplished, 
There is no more place for or purpose for national Israel. There is a spiritual Israel, but anyone from any nation under heaven can be part of spiritual Israel. Now, we then have the New Testament. And remember, the reason we know it is a New Testament or a New Covenant is because that's what we're told in the Bible. And remember, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And in the first part of the New Testament, from Matthew through John, we have the story of the life and the death and the burial of Jesus Christ and also the story of his resurrection from the dead. Four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, repeat, each giving different facts about Jesus Christ and about his birth, about his life, about his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. Now, a verse I've looked at several times already in John chapter 20 tells us these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Why do we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, four writers telling us the same story? Because we're slow learners? Well, aren't we? <laughs> there was different purposes to those books, I think. But you know, God wants us to really get this thing called faith in Jesus down, doesn't he? So if you start with the New Testament and you read Matthew, if you wade through the genealogy, you're going to get to some good stuff all about Jesus. And then you say, well, here's a book of Mark. What's that all about? Jesus again. Here's the book of Luke. What's that all about? Jesus again. Here's the book of John. What's that all about? Jesus again. You think Jesus is important? Oh, yeah. We just never get over Jesus. We never get past him. We never do. We can never forget him. We can never forget that when we read the Gospels, it is as though we are there with him as he does all that he did, including dying on the cross for our sins. And so when we go from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John into the book of Acts, we then find that there was something that occurred very early in that book. There was something called the church that emerged. And people were doing certain things to be able to be members of that church. Now reckon whose church that was. Well, who have we just spent four books reading about? Hmm, Christ. Christ. And so it shouldn't surprise us that early in the book of Acts we find information about the Lord's church, the church of Christ, and how people were added to it and how they were saved. You know what they needed to do? They needed to have, and this is already a familiar word, they needed to have faith. Remember where faith comes from? Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. They needed to repent of their sins. They needed to confess that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God. And they needed to be baptized for the remission of their sins. And then they needed to live a holy life. 
because those are the rules. So we find that very early in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. The rest of the books have different purposes, but some of them are to remind people, don't forget the rules. Here, here's the rules. In some instances, people have been going astray. Now, within the Word of God, we have these things in hermeneutic studies that are simply, uh, well, here are the terms. They're called commands, examples, and inferences. And through a study of those, we can determine what is appropriate for us to do. There are commands or precepts that are in the Word of God, such as Acts 2 and verse 38, where the Apostle Peter said, Repent and be baptized. That was a command to be obeyed. So God commands individuals. Then there are those times when there are examples of what individuals are to do, and those examples uh, become things that we are to follow. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, Wherefore I beseech you, be ye followers of me, Paul said. For this cause have I sent unto you Timotheus, who is my beloved son and faithful in the Lord, who shall bring you into remembrance of my ways, which be in Christ, as I teach everywhere in every church. So he's saying, here's what I do, and Timothy follows me, and you follow me as I follow Christ. You follow Timothy as he follows me. Follow us as we follow Christ. Those become examples for us to follow. Then there are those things that are implied. And those are a little tricky. And this seems to be really nitpicky. But in order to uh, understand this, let's go to a conversation that Jesus had with some people. Matthew 22, verse 29 Jesus was answering the question of somebody. And Jesus answered and said, You do err, you're making a mistake, not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. Then in verse 31 he says, But as touching, this is Matthew 22 verse 31, But as touching the resurrection of the dead, have ye not read that which was spoken unto you by God, saying? Now, there were individuals questioning Jesus that did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. And they were questioning God. They were doubting the word of God. And Jesus said, have you not read? So what did Jesus have them do? He had them go to the book. He had them go to the Bible. In this case, they would have gone to the Old Testament for proof of what he was saying. And so in religious issues, we always need to go to the book, the word of God, to find out what the answers are. And here is Jesus saying, have you not read that which was spoken unto you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Now there's a little word here that Jesus used that is very key to this entire discussion. It's the little word, am. Jesus said, I am the God of Abraham. He said, have you not read in the Old Testament where it says, I am the God of these people? Now what's the issue? The Sadducees said there is no resurrection of the dead. Jesus is saying when God said, I am the God of Abraham, he was using the present tense of a word, meaning they were still alive. God didn't say, I was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's saying, I am the God of those people. And so, do small words make a difference in the rules? Yeah, they do. They do. And so we can't just pick and choose 
which of these things we would like and which we wouldn't, we have to be very, very careful. And those are necessary inferences. Jesus uses a necessary inference to prove that there is life after death. And he did so based on a two-letter word, at least in English. And that is very amazing to me to see the Lord himself using a hermeneutical concept of necessary implication or necessary inference. Now, here's how some of these things can work. Let's look at Mark chapter 16 and verse 16. Mark 16 and verse 16, Jesus says, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Now, what is inferred in that passage? What is inferred in that passage, at least among other things, is this. Whoever is going to be baptized needs to be old enough to believe. You see that? So if somebody says, well, I was baptized as a baby. Well, were you able to believe? No, couldn't do that then. Okay, then you just got wet. Someone may have meant it for a religious statement, may have meant it for your salvation, but the inference is until someone can believe, they should not be baptized. And so you'll not see us baptizing babies. We dare not do that because it is inferred that all those who are baptized need to be of the ability to reason. Acts 2 and verse 38, Peter said, repent and be baptized. What is inferred there? We have to be mature enough to understand the difference between right and wrong and to be able to make a commitment to do what's right. And until we're mature enough to do those things, then we are not ready for baptism. Those things are also inferred. Within those things that are commands, there are those things that are, that are general in nature and specific in nature. Let me give you an example of one of those. In the Great Commission, Jesus said in Matthew 28 and 19, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. And so we understand that Jesus is telling us to go into all the world to preach the gospel. And we lovingly and gladly do that. Understand when Jesus said, Go ye, that is a command. However, it is general in nature because he doesn't say how to go. I am so thankful he didn't say, walk ye therefore, or I'd have still been trying to get here from Sacramento. Frankie wouldn't have been back from the Philippines yet. Go ye therefore allows us to take a walk or a train or a plane or a bus or an automobile, and that is simply okay with the Lord. Now, as we look to all of these things of a religious nature, there is a difference between those things that we may use as expedients, those things that are aids, versus those things that would be considered sinful additions to the Lord's will. And we have to be careful about these as well. Now, we are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Hebrews 10 and verse 25. The disciples came together on the first day of the week to break bread. So we know that assembling is authorized. When we assemble, 
we could assemble under a tree somewhere or just out in the open without a tree, if you would, or we could assemble in a building. And a building is simply an expedient that aids us in observing the command for us to gather for worship in one place. Now, an expedient can't violate a command. It can't violate how a command was exemplified, or else it becomes sinful. Now, within our building, we happen to be seated in pews. Okay, does having a pew keep us from being able to worship God? No, it doesn't. It really doesn't. There are some religions around the world that don't have pews in their buildings. They make everybody stand up the whole time. And uh, that could be quite interesting. Um, a whiteboard. Uh, I used to put blackboard, but they're, they're not chalkboards anymore. But a whiteboard is simply an expedient in teaching, which is part of our worship. Whenever we have the collection on Lord's Day, a bag or a basket becomes an expedient that does not violate that in any way. We have a baptistry to help with as an aid to baptism. But again, it does not violate baptism in any way. We have songbooks to aid with the commanded singing that we are to do. All of those things we can say in no way violate the commands, the inferences, and the examples of how we are to worship and serve God. They do not. Now, there are many other religious things that people do that are a violation of the commands, the examples, and the inferences of the Word of God. Some of those have to do with different assemblies, Bible classes or Sunday schools, different ways of worshiping God with multiple vessels or loaves, having musical instruments, having multiple communion times for a congregation. And I put down here having pie suppers, only I realize that most folks no longer know what a pie supper is. But by that I simply mean the Lord's church is financed by the voluntary contributions of the members uh, whenever the time for giving is observed on Lord's Day. And so we are, we're not engaged in other businesses or other ways in which to gather funds. And so in the Lord's church today, we want to be very careful for what we do to make sense. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 1030 a.m. and 5 p.m and Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.